two, one. Hello, and welcome to another edition of A Humanistic Perspective. As always, I am Chad Castilla, and today I have the pleasure of being joined with Biat Shalev. Biat is a mother, an entrepreneur, a business strategist, and above all else, a well, well-rounded and amazing human being. And I can't wait to have this conversation and share your life story. Biat, thank you for joining me. It is such a pleasure to be here. I can't wait to get started. All right, let's do it. So I was hoping you could take me back. I believe you grew up in Germany, correct? Correct. All right, let's let's go back to your childhood. What is your experience like growing up? Um, are, what's going on around you? What is the family life like with your parents? How is the school system for you? Um, could you sort of share a little bit of that light? Sure, Chet. So um, I'm probably like a lot of your uh, listeners um, I'm not fitting in shockingly. And uh, Germany, if you know, if there's one thing to be true about Germany, so so there's good and bad things about that because everything is so regulated and everything is that's just the way it is, you know. Mm. Uh, and it's been done a certain way for a really long time, and there's rules and regulations and and you always know what to expect. And I never felt that that was really right for me. And I do believe that there are uh, places where you're meant to live mm-hmm. and places where you should not live. And that mm-hmm. so each city, each country has their own vibe. And so for me, the first time I felt that I really belonged somewhere was when I arrived in Los Angeles. And Los Angeles to me is the city of misfits. And so mm-hmm. I fit right in. And magically, all the misfits together create this crazy city that we call Los Angeles. Um, so my childhood was um, very middle class childhood classic middle-class thinking, get an education, get a job, work hard, work before you have fun, make sure all the work gets done, let the work speak for itself, don't speak out out of turn, follow the rules. Now, did you have siblings in the house? Yeah, I have a bigger brother and a younger sister. And for me, rules are there for two reasons, to break or bend them. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. Was it, uh, so what was the, the dichotomy like as a middle child? Did you just feel like you had to go that way? Was your brother maybe more of a rule follower and your sister maybe it was similar way? Or how was that dynamic? How did you know my brother's a rule follower? Well, I just feel like I, I'm I myself am the oldest and I'm pretty much in that similar boat. And my brother is the one who likes to do that dissonance or clash with the status quo. Well, I think that maybe it's because, you know, the middle child somehow ends up being the accident, whereas the first one is the hail, hail to the hail to the oldest child. And then the sure. little one, oh, God, look how cute she is. You know, she can't do no wrong. And then there is me, boom, smack in the middle. And it's like, hey, somebody can pay some attention to me here, please. Sure. Uh, what city were you growing up in, in Germany? Uh, so I'm born in Munich and I grew up in Nuremberg. Okay, cool. Very nice. And is are you in the public school system or is there a private school yes. system? Or? Yeah, so I was in the public school system, but my parents decided for some reason that I needed to go in a parochial school. So I went to a Catholic school and Catholic all-girls school where uh, we still had nuns that were, were teaching. So as wow. you can as you can tell, it was a remarkable experience of no creative expression. Right. Yeah, I'm sure you felt so like locked or held back in that type of environment. 
I, I can't imagine. So what, how, what, how do you, how do you transition or come to LA and how do you get out of Germany? What do you, what's going through your mind? Did you want to be an entrepreneur at this point or was that like completely out of the picture? Well, I mean, you have to add to that. And, um, you know, my, my, my father was, uh, the CEO of a, of a dairy company and he traveled a lot. And my mother was a homemaker and my mother, my mother terrorized me. So I experienced a lot of abuse. I'm, you know, she was a world war II child. She did the best she could, but she had definitely some demons. And for some reason I was the chosen one to unleash those demons onto. So for me, it was about, I needed to get out as quickly as I could. Otherwise I literally physically would not have survived. And so for me, the, 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 the idea wasn't so much about what did I want to do? The idea was, how the heck am I going to get out of here? And how am I going to even survive? And I felt always that I had a lot of creativity in me. And in Germany, this is kind of a funny story chat where in Germany, even the career career counseling is taken extremely seriously. So really? you go through like pages and pages and pages of multiple choice forms. And are you, do you like being outside? Sure. Do you mind carrying weights? No. Are you afraid of heights? No. And you just go through it. And at the end of these nine pages, I want you to guess what it said that I should be. Oh, uh, okay. So you're, you're a creative type. You just took this test. I'm assuming it said something like maybe a glass blower or an artisan of some type. That's what I thought. The test said I should be a roofer. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> because I wasn't afraid of hides. I like being outside and I didn't mind carrying gear, right? And so wow. it says I should be a roofer. So, so is this my- test extremely literal? Like exactly how you answer it will probably give you an outcome to that? Uh, well, that would be the German way, wouldn't it be? <laughs> And so, yes, 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 and yes, and yes. So I raised my hand and I said, uh, no offense toward roofers, but no, Mm -hmm. this is not my job. I said, why can't I be, and it wasn't a glass blow. I said, why can't I be a jewelry designer? And she says, there's too many applicants, not enough jobs. Then I said, well, why can't I be um, a textile designer? Somebody's got to design all these fabrics. And she says, too many applicants, no jobs. I said, oh, I got it. I'm going to be a photographer. And guess what she said, Chad? No, too many jobs, oversaturated market. There you go. And so I became a photographer anyway. (laughs) And how old are you when you have to take this test? 17. 17. So they expect you to like, do most people in Germany end up sticking to that exact path that they choose at that age? Yeah. Those are the rules and we follow the rules. Yeah. What? There's no midlife crisis. It's time to switch career paths. There's interesting. No, no. Everything in Germany, um, we still have a lot of apprentice apprenticeship where you where you decide what you want to be, and then you become an apprentice, and then you do that for three, four years, and then you get your you know apprenticeship, whatever associate degree, and then that's what you are. And most people in Germany to this day. Once they decide on something, that's what they are for the remainder of their lives until they die. Wow. What an interesting uh, cultural dynamic there to really take on. So you're a 17-year-old photographer now. Do you start a website? Do you open up an entrepreneurial route? Or what, what, what is next for you? What happened? Well, there was no internet at that time. 
So, uh, so I'm, I'm sorry to, there were no smartphones. We didn't even have cell phones. The, sure. you know, I, so I'm, I'm a photographer and I, I got my photographer degree at, at the photo Institute in Munich. And then I started being an assistant, but I realized very quickly that I was much better chat at the business mm. behind the creativity. I understood creatives and I love creatives and I love the, I love the unruly, the non-conforming, the colorful, the crazy, but um, I'm really good at business. And so I became photo editor at a small magazine. And then I moved to L Magazine, Germany, and I'm 23 and I'm the editor, photo editor of L Magazine in Germany. How, how big is that? Are we talking like a Rolling Stones here in America type of magazine? Uh, yes, that is when you're in fashion. It's like there's Vogue and L Magazine. Okay, that, those yeah, were a- those were the two magazines. I mean, it's like right up there. I mean, the world will do anything to get a job like that. And I didn't want to do that anymore. I thought the people were horrible. I thought the women in fashion were, can I say this? Sure. It's a B word. Um, <laughs> yes, you can say whatever you want on the podcast. All right, good. So I'm going to say they were real bitches with each other. Wow. And um, it was a lot of backstabbing, like all the things mm. that you think about that happens in this industry. It's all true. Yeah. And um, I, you know, and then I'm already a photo editor. And so wh- what? where am I going to go from there? And right. so I asked my editor in chief with whom I'm still friends today. And I said to her, well, what am I going to, you know, where am I going to go from here? I'm 23. I'm already running the photo department. Where am I going to go? And she says, well, well, first you're going to do this for a while. And then you become a senior photo editor. I said, but I'm already doing the work. So <laughs> do to get a title for something I'm already doing. I mean, you know, Chad, it just- It just isn't logical, right? It's just not logical. And so she says, well, I mean, do you want to be an art director? I'm like, no. And she said, she want to be an editor-in-chief? I said, no. And she says, well, I guess then there's nowhere to go for you. Right. Now, say Uh, that to a 23-year-old, you're at the end of your career already. I was about to say, I wanted to get into- you're talking about this experience there, but at night I can I can feel it from the story. The dichotomy of you is just like this is not the real. I'm, there's no passion. I, I'm fine with doing what I'm doing, but there's no real passion in it. What were the nights like? Were there some nights where you know maybe you're you're going through your feelings and your emotions, and it's really difficult? Were there some nights where you know you're excited about an idea of being curious and getting away? What was what was the emotional landscape that you're facing? You know, when you're off the clock during this period of your life. A super sensitive for you to pick that up because that's exactly what it was like. So there was one mm-hmm. part where everyone that does the middle class thinking goes, are you out of your mind? You got the best job in the world. People will do anything. Your name is in the magazine. You get to travel. You meet the most brilliant people in the world. This is everyone's dream job. And you're what? You're unhappy? What the heck is wrong with you? And then there is this part where you go, I've already achieved so much at such a young age. This isn't my creative expression. This isn't who I'm meant to be. And the, the dichotomy that you're referring to, the conversation was, I didn't want to be known for what I did. I wanted to be liked and known for who I was. And that's a that's huge, powerful. Can, huge wait, could you repeat that one more time? Just say that one more time again. Yeah. So I said, I didn't want to be known for what I did. I wanted to be known and liked for who I was. 
And this is a trap that a lot Mm. of people fall into, especially when you listen to the big internet marketers and the entrepreneurs and the fake four week, four hour work week. Oh my gosh, I know exactly. It's 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 huge. and it's just this bullshit of where you where you hear, yeah, and 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 then you get to drive the car and you you got all the appeal. That's not fulfilling because when you have money or power, people will pretend they love you. They'll never tell you the truth. They fall over backward. They'll backstab you. They talk behind your back. They will not tell you the truth because they want something from you. But I wanted to become a person that I liked. And my father, Chad, said something very profound to me. My father said, at the end of the day, there's only one thing that matters. When you come home at night and you look in the mirror, you need to like the person looking back at you. 100%. Because nobody else. It's just you and your reflection in the mirror. And if you don't like what you see, you got a problem. And so I wanted to look in the mirror and like that person. So what's the what was the uh, jumping off point? When did the the seam finally burst and you actually left the company and took the next step? What was it? When my father got fired, mm. because my father was cocky, and my father was brilliant, and, and he was my, a CEO, correct? And he was a CEO. So did and, he get voted out by the board? Yep. Wow. Because he was getting too cocky and too bold and too brazen, and they wanted to teach him a lesson. They were never prepared for the majority to vote him out. And then they didn't have any plan. They didn't have succession plan. They didn't have a replacement. They had nothing. They just wanted to teach him a lesson. And suddenly he was fired. What, what, how did I, the health of the company do after that? Sorry to tangent on that. But. It, it, nev- it never recovered. Never mm-hmm. recovered. Never recovered. But I learned in this moment that I was very much like my dad. And that if I continued down the road to take my self-esteem and my um, satisfaction out of what I did and not who I was and how I was being perceived, I was going down the exact same road. And that's when I said, no more, I'm leaving. Wow. And so do you immediately move to America? Yes. (laughs) Did you have a boyfriend, a job you were chasing, or was it just quite literally entirely new environment? I was like, that's it. I'm done. I had a boyfriend in Germany. Sure. I had an apartment in Germany. Did, did they all come I with said, or did he come with? Or? Nope. No, 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 no. I wasn't taking anybody. Sure. Uh, I, I, I realized that it was time for me to do something that I never had the courage to do, that I wanted to do, that I, I needed to do something that really pushed me beyond what my capabilities are. And I think this is really critical, Jed, for your listeners um, to 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 pick up on because you and I we talked before we started the show a little bit about a lot of the confusion that a lot of people are in right now where they go what's the right thing to do should I follow this should I should I do that is a job better is entrepreneurship better is should I follow my dream what the heck are my dreams after my dreams just have been completely shattered and squashed well that's where you start you think about what is what is that fear that you have of not being good enough, of not being worthy, of not living up to your potential? Because the one thing I can tell you with absolute certainty, Chad, is nobody got here to be mediocre. Nobody right. nobody made the commitment to be mediocre. Mm-hmm. 
So that's the point where I said, that's it. Yeah, I have a lot what other people consider desirable. Right. But it wasn't right for me. I needed to figure out who I was and I needed to be courageous to do that. And so I said, yep, I'm going to go to America. That's it. You know, I think it's really surprising because the, the first thing that comes to mind when you say all of this is it's extremely humbling. I think too many people nowadays are are so focused on A, because of media and technology, but also B, just because we're, you know, a lot more connected and involved as a generation, but we're so worried about the external. And I think there's something extremely humbling about uh, sitting down, taking that reflection period and being able to talk and say to yourself and have that realization that I need to actually do something in my life that is for me. And I think, you know, specifically with younger people, because a lot of my demographic is fairly young, we, that experience is sometimes so overwhelming, it can cause so much anxiety. But if people just fell into the uncomfortability a bit more, who knows what could, could, could uh, sprout from it. So, yes. And that leads us into, into a, um, a piece chat I really want to share. And that is my encouraging everyone who is listening to this to fail faster. Mm. That when you are, um, I, I read a book a long time ago, it's called The Optimistic Child. And it said that the difference between a lot of other countries in America is that America has this crazy um, expectation that you have to feel good all the time. Mm. So when you go to school and just because you have perfect attendance, you get a certificate. So wait, so you're getting rewarded for not having an illness, for not being sick. Who does that? That's ridiculous. You know, who, who tells yep. you good job, Chad, for not being sick throughout the years if you had any control over that, right? So you drag yourself in the school with a 102 degree fever because you want to get this award at the end of the year. I mean, this is just ridiculous. So the expectation that you have to feel good all the time, you've got to let that go. Right. Because- because the, the brilliance is not found when the sun shines. The brilliance is found in the darkness. Mm. The artist doesn't create because of life was great and then great things happened and it got even better. The artist creates because the artist is in the dumpster and it's right. dark and it's scary and, and you don't know where to go. And it activates um, your creativity, it activates your survival, it activates a whole bunch of other things inside of you. That's where the juice is. That's, mm -hmm. I think, what a lot of times the generation right now is not, not, not grasping is perfection is an illusion. Yes. Mm. It is in the failure that you find the richness of life. My failures are my greatest successes. Every mistake I made is a is a medal in my honor. I earned every wrinkle, every every brown spot, every piece mm -hmm. of cellulite on my body. I, you know, I earned all of that because right. that is the story I tell. And the story isn't the story of just happy go lucky. The story is it's hard. Mm -hmm. I fought for it. I was $135,000 in debt. I'm a single mom. I'm an immigrant. I'm going through a horrible divorce. I know nothing Holy about cow. relationships. Is this I mean, all I know while, while you're moving to LA? All of that occurred during that move? That came right after. Right after. So how, how do you, 
how did how did you end up in that? Let's let's maybe talk through that. How what what occurred when you got here to LA? Did you immediately take a job? Did you go into the entrepreneurial route? What was your first step? I was a nanny on a houseboat without water and electricity in Key West. <laughs> <laughs> Do you no like kidding. it that I have a, that I make another left turn for you? <laughs> yeah, entirely. That's crazy. So how did you even start your first business? What what gave you the idea to do that? Well, I mean, you know, going to Key West was was my way of I had to just get off this L magazine fashion thing. You know, I just sure. had to I had to hit ground again. And so uh, I moved afterward to Los Angeles uh, pretty quickly, about, you know, four months later. And I um, I found a job as an artist representative because of my experience. And I worked for a small company representing hair and makeup artists. And then I started to represent photographers because that was my experience uh, was photography and production. And so I was, you know, repping and I was producing photo shoots here in Los Angeles for companies that came from other places in the world. And then the big recession hit and I was laid off. Yeah. Six months old baby. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. That's crazy. And so what I wanted to ask, I actually think I wrote this question down. Um, what was harder, being being a mother or being an entrepreneur? Uh, to me, they are really not to be disconnected because, mm. um, because I didn't, you know, I don't have family here. So there's nobody I can park my daughter, no, no dad that comes and takes her, no mom that she can go to for the weekend. That was my life. I was with my daughter and I was an entrepreneur. So these two things were the same thing. I had to figure out how to make both of them work at the same time. Right. So after you're laid off, what what's going through your head? Is it just like, I need to put food on the table for my kids? Is it... Is it what's going on? Do I have to move back? Like, oh, I can't imagine all the questions going on at that time. That's exactly all the questions I was thinking about. It's like, do I have to move back? Is this it? Am I done? Am I going to crawl back home and find a job and and declare defeat? Sure. But what you have to know about me, Chad, I don't like drowning in puddles. <laughs> I like that. I'm starting to I'm starting to pick that up throughout throughout the history of your life here. <laughs> if I drown, it'll better be the ocean. At least it's worth it. Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not sticking my head in a bucket and, and drown drown like that. I mean, that would be just ridiculous. So that's when the fight starts. That's when the fight starts. And the fight is, and again, you know, this is I think something's really important, Chad, to point out, is where you have to overcome what you're being taught that middle-class thinking programming and recognizing that there are people out there that do something really exciting and it seems to be easy. So how are you going to get from this crap shot you're in, that's your life, where it's just difficulties and and I'm broke and what do I do to, to that spot? Because what I'm thinking is, if someone does it, it's possible, right? So if it's possible and they are achieving it, I should be able to achieve it too. So that changes it. 
Because then the narrative doesn't go from, I can't believe this is happening to me, poor me, cry, 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 cry. But then the conversation is about, how did they do that? How do I get there? What do I need to do? And that is, again, activating what, you know, a second time, the survival instinct where you say, what do I need to do to get there? And that's when, that's when stuff really starts to happen. Wow. Fires, floods, earthquakes, <laughs> riots, tsunami, 9-11, you name yeah. it. Little did I know I was going to add a pandemic to my repertoire of disasters. But I was going to say. Gotta, other than hurricanes, I think I've got it covered. Sure, sure. <laughs> so you, you start a... You started that company, right, that you sold to a capital company that's attached to Bill Gates, correct? I sold it to Bill Gates himself. Wow. How did you, what was the business and how did, what made you start that business? So that business was made out of a desperation because I was running, a, at that time, I was running a photographer representation firm and a production company. And so now I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling awesome. You know, I'm running a million dollar business. I'm producing photo shoots for clients like Levi's, Mercedes Benz, BMW, a Wrangler. I'm, I'm going, this is going, this is going good. You know, I'm finally, I'm finally there. I finally arrived. Mm -hmm. And then I had this feeling that something was going on in my office and I fired my key employee. And it turns out that she had come up with an idea to run her own business, which was my business just without me with my key vendor. And so I'm in a big Whoa. lawsuit, right? Because I didn't cover enough yet, right? So now sure. I'm in a lawsuit. And in this lawsuit that lasted for an entire year, I'm fighting because they basically stole my business. And as I'm thinking I'm getting out of this, you know, this, this, this hole, September 11th happens. And within 24 hours, my production business is wiped out. So I, I lost a half a million in 24 hours. Holy and, and, cow. Yeah. And, and that's it. I'm done. Right. I'm done in anybody's book. I'm done. So I can't rebuild. I, you know, within six months, I lost the two divisions of my business. Nobody's going in an airplane flying to Los Angeles. I better be right. thinking something, something else. And so I came up with this idea of a stock photography syndication for architecture and interior photography. You know, again, my photography background, my love for photography, the photographer betrayed me, happened to be an architectural and interior photographer. So for some crazy, insane reason, he actually gave me the idea. And I knew enough from being a photo editor on how to sell these kinds of photographs, right? And so I built up a stock photography syndication, but I had no money. Mm. And so I fly to Germany to drum up some business because now I'm really deep into debt. The lawsuit settled, it ended up being nothing and I'm back in debt and my father has a stroke. Now my father is dead within six weeks of pancreatic cancer. Mm, wow, I'm so sorry for the loss. And uh, you know, and, and talk about defining moments, Chad. And so I'm, you know- And how old's your child he, at this point too? Cause you have a child- My daughter at this time is six. Oh my god, Six years old. And uh, at this time, you know, talk about a compound effect. Yeah. I mean, I've done, I've had nothing but hard knocks for 10 years, right? You think it's game over now. I mean, what else can happen? Now I lost my best friend, my biggest supporter, my advisor, my number one fan, the, 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 the cheerleader, the 
CEO of the Beata Can Do Anything Committee. Mm-hmm. And I fell to my knees in Bavaria on this beautiful mountain in front of this Baroque church overlooking the whole valley. And I yelled at God. And I said, if you have a plan, this would be an excellent moment to fill me in (laughs) what the details of this grand plan of yours are, because I am not seeing it. And at that time I surrendered. That's it. Mm -hmm. And I just surrendered. I said, okay, if, if, if I drown now, it's not a puddle. If I drown now, it's an ocean of dead. And I, I surrendered and I said, I, I go back and I'll see what I can do. And whatever happens, happens. I get a letter from the White House chat, the White House, because I wrote a letter in my desperation to the president of the United States. How long before the mountain experience did you write that letter? Um, that was about three months, four months before that. Whoa, that's this is that's so weird then because that's a pretty long amount of time. You know, two weeks is like, okay, wow, they actually received it and they were actually timely about it. But three months makes it like completely detached from your experience on the mountain. And so that, whoa, that's unique. That's cool. So what does this letter say? The president sends his best wishes. <laughs> <laughs> so the letter was about... Um, asking uh, for help. And so they put me in touch with a small business administration. And because the letter came from the White House, it went to the deputy chief director, not some loan officer, not some underling, but the second in command. So I walk in, I also wrote a business plan. So I was fully prepared. You know, this wasn't, I wasn't dilly-dallying around. I mean, I was, I was ready. So I walk in with my business plan, with my portfolio. And then the deputy chief director says to me, I'll put in what you put in. And for the first time in years, I have hope. Three months later, they found me a bank that restructured my debt into a 10-year fixed-term loan that freed up my line of credit of $45,000. That got me to break even in three months. This is how close this was. I was away from break even three months. 18 months later, after this moment where I yelled at God, I am the world leader in celebrity at home stories. Remember Elle magazine Mm -hmm. and all that? top-notch, best of the best celebrities I dealt with, well, that came in pretty handy now because I was selling my stories to those magazines. Mm. And because I was a photo editor, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I'm selling into 79 countries in the world. These stories are selling like hotcakes. We're talking Madonna's home, Simon Baker, Julian Moore, Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, the A-listers. Top-notch, yeah, let's go. Wow. A-listers. And so suddenly I'm, I'm at the top and then my phone rings and it's a, it's this Bill Gates company. And they say, well, can you tell us how you do it? And like any decent woman, Chad, I said, you want what I have? Yeah, of course. That's your intellectual property. That's the sugar and spice. Yeah, of course. (laughs) And so they said, what do you want? And I named a multimillion dollar number and they said, okay. So they, they just wanted your intellectual property of how you were doing what you were doing. And then how long do you, do you stay on with them? Did you merge? Did you just give it up and then dip or? 
I uh, my contract for the acquisition transaction was a year. Uh, transition was completed after six months, and then they hired me as a senior director for global entertainment, and I stayed on for like another year. Holy cow! This was global entertainment. Wow,、mm-hmm. that's what a unique story. What a unique like. So I don't think the story ends there. To me, this seems like just. A very big milestone chapter. What what happens after the fact? I'm sure you weren't satisfied again. Being the senior editor there, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure you felt very very fulfilled, very grateful that you had done this. But I, there had to have been more. What? Yeah, I mean, my first phone call goes to my daughter, who is、uh, I think 15 or 16 at the time, and I said to her,、uh, "Today, I promise you." That you can go anywhere, study anything you want, and your education is paid for.、Holy、and、God. my daughter, true, true, true to form, she says, "Sure, whatever, mom." <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe it. Like, and she went to Chicago. She went to、um, no、Columbia, Columbia College, Chicago. Okay, very nice, very nice. Yeah, so she she went for liberal arts, and so you are absolutely correct. It was literally a week. When I said, "I, what am I supposed to do now? Am I going to supposed to go shopping at Bloomingdale's or Neiman Marcus?" And, yeah, I was going to ask, find- did you change your lifestyle, get a bigger house, or do anything, or were you like, "Oh, I got to sit on this money; it could disappear." Like, what was the philosophy? Well, the first thing I did is bought a house, and、uh, so nobody could ever put me out on the street again. That was really important for me.、Mm-hmm. I made sure that my daughter's education was paid for. I invested my money so that I can live off interest, so I never had to worry about money again. Which I,、All、which、right. I to this day, knock on wood, don't have to.、Um, but then I joined a mastermind group, and I had this idea about, and which is what I learned when I was employed at this Bill Gates company as the senior global director, that there's something really wrong with the way the structure of Business works,、mm. and the structure of the the corporate structure is built by white men from white men,、mm-hmm. and worked great for white men. And then women came in, and people that are different and non-conforming, and the system broke. And now people don't like going to work. They hate their job. They hate、oh, yeah. the environment. They hate the performance review. They hate everything. And now it's really not working for white men anymore either. I mean, your generation, Generation Z, millennials, w- w- what what is so great about a great corporate job? Like nothing.、Right. You want to be seen as an individual. You want to make a passionate contribution. You want to be part of all. You want to be asked. Want to have your opinion count. Why do we even have to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion? You are diverse,、right. equal, and、yeah. inclusive. So w- why are they making such a big deal out of it? So I recognize, Chad, that there's something really fundamentally wrong with how leadership runs an organization. And I said, I'm going to change it. That's my next job. That's my next. That's my next goal. That one's lofty. That's a. That's very big goal to change. To change like a whole structural world of how how business and corporations are thinking. So how has that mission been going? So.、Um, Yes, it's a lofty goal. No shit, right? I mean, this is one of those things where sometimes I'm like, "What the heck are you thinking?"、Mm-hmm. But I started with looking at women leadership. So I figured if I can define what women leadership is and make that 
a recognizable trait in an organization, I already have one piece together. Then I'm going to shed light on that it's really not working right now. And I mean, if you look at the corporate structure, it's really not working. Like it's okay. not working for anyone right now. Oh, and it's so, so up in the air. I You don't even know when I drive down 88, all of these major corporations that it's set up all the way down to Chicago, all of them have signs that they're out of their buildings, that they're up for sale now. No one wants to go back to these, uh, you know, like you're talking about formula, formulaic structural corporate settings. Yeah. And so, well, I have a solution for that. And it is really um, in its essence, chat, it's a new business code. And it comes by the recognition that things have changed, mm -hmm. that yes, we know people are our greatest asset, but putting a black square on your Instagram really isn't cutting it. Mm -hmm. You have to live diversity in action. And diversity in action means, yes, you want people to bring themselves in. You want to measure what you want them to bring in. I mean, somebody's an alcoholic, please do not bring yourself fully into work, okay? <laughs> Uh, that will not work. And if you uh, hit women, do not bring that to work. Yeah, uh, no, definitely. Please don't. But can I look at you and I say, what do I need to change to see what chat things and brings to the table that I can use for the greater good of everything? And that's what made me want to be on your podcast mm. is that humanistic attribute to say, Okay, yeah, Chad can do the job, but what else does Chad have that I need to know? And so that's my goal right now in this new business code that I've been working on for a decade to really get that message out. And now for the first time, I think the environment is right to hear it. Okay. I want to ask and maybe press on this topic a little bit with this code. How would you do, is this something that is strictly for a corporate business setting or how could something like this code of you're talking about be implemented in a warehouse setting, for example, with Amazon, how so much of it is, is autonomized and it's really more humans helping a computer finish a processing in a system. How, how could these same principles be implemented in a setting like that versus a setting like a boardroom? So the first thing that 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 you'll do is you go to any team, any entrepreneurship, uh, any company, small, large, the whole organization or individual teams, and you go to the to 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 any group and you say, "We know what our vision is. We know what our mission is. We know what our core values are. But what are our leadership attributes? I call this the fourth element." Hmm. The caveat of this fourth element that I want to add to every corporate structure, to every organization, to every team has to be designed on what I call a sliding scale of balanced leadership. So the team decides our leadership attributes, and let's say there's 10, but they have to be balanced. So if we do competition, what balances competition? Empathy. If we do strategy, what balances strategy? Collaboration. So that these leadership attributes I identified, female, male, and then we remove the label and then they just become our leadership attributes for our team. Do you have any idea, Chad, how that changes the conversation in a team? When you're 
on a project and I say, hey, Chad, how did the project go? You said, I nailed it on compassion. Boom. Right? And uh, then I say, well, what do you want to work on next? And you say, you know, I, I really think that strategy would be good, but I want to work on the strategy and the empathy. So now suddenly I don't have to find things that you're doing wrong. Suddenly I can have a completely different conversation with you about what you are learning and bringing to the table. And as, as you are changing your perception of different leadership attributes that you don't have, and you yourself are recognizing that you want to learn them, now you have more compassion for everyone else that naturally has it because they are now learning what they don't know. And that just changes the fabric of how we interact with each other because it's like, um, who is the guy on our team that got strategy down? Chad, come on, dude, we need you for this project because we don't have time for anybody to learn. You know, this, this needs to be done by tomorrow. Strength-based leadership, voila, here it is. That's how we start. I have you read a book called The Dichotomy of Leadership by chance? No, no. I highly recommend it. Um, it very much is a similar philosophy to what you're talking about. Um, and the whole principle is built on military strategy. Uh, it's a book written by a guy named Jocko Willings. And the whole concept of the book is you can be great aggressive leader. You could be a great, you know, collaborative leader, but none of that matters if you don't have balance which is the dichotomy of leadership. The most important trait is actually balance, which is so fascinating to hear you talk about that same principle. And I love it too, because it's now making me think, so what is, so uh, is there in a, in a boardroom or a, a collaborative setting, is there one leader or is everyone a leader or should everyone live with these traits, but really it's more of a commune and there is no leader? How, how, how does, how do we take these principles, use them in a collaborative way, but then still have some more of those discipline or structures when a final decision does need to be made? How does that relationship work? I mean, you still need leaders um, because somebody has to put in certain measurements or a certain criteria, right? Sure. So leadership is, is always going to be required. It's just that the leadership parameters are changing. And the leadership parameters are, are, are widening. It takes away that I am the king of my castle and what I say is the only way it works. It takes that completely away. And it helps people to just from a leadership perspective to look for people that have particular traits because now it's a requirement. Because wow. now the awareness, you know, the minute you shift the awareness, you can't undo the awareness. Mm -hmm. The awareness now is always there. I mean, you can not follow the awareness and then you're just a jerk or <laughs> <laughs> you follow the awareness and you say, well, now that I've learned something, I incorporate that in the way I live and what I do. And then you, you, you have, I, you know, and, and it comes from me because I don't think I've always been a really good leader chat. And so when I learned that the perception of how I was seen and how I saw myself is so off that I'm thinking I'm like this great leader and this great compassionate, empathetic leader. And then people behind my back tell me I'm a jerk. Um, that's a pretty hard realization to wake up to. And then you go, well, what counts how I think about myself or how other people perceive me and perception is, is, the, is the measure. It's, right. it's, it's your 360 that's the measure, not what you think. And that's when the journey begins to say, in a team, we're just putting these tools out there for you. 
if you want to step into that, if you, and this is especially for your generation, really critical to understand, if you really want to want to do what you say you want, be, be passionate, be responsible, be a part of something, make a contribution, be connected to something. Here it is. Show up. It's up mm-hmm. to you now. Because if you think that I'm going to tell you how that's being done, I'm giving you the parameters. But the right. self-activation now is required by everyone. And that's how you now see where the leaders are and where the followers are. Because a lot of people talk a good game. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just wish you know, somebody would see me for what I am. Well, so-and-so just doesn't appreciate me at all. I just got to go to another company and do the same thing I'm doing right now, which is the absolute minimum, and hope that somebody's <laughs> going to figure out how brilliant I am. That's no, I, dude. Oh, I've heard that so many times. I know that. No. That, it's so not true, though. Yeah, you're right. It's so not good. That's it's it's interesting too because from my perspective, we have employees, and like you know, I've 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 been in a situation where someone before would you know they want an immediate raise or they want this and that, but then the level of effort, the actual output that they're giving me doesn't does not exhale that same thought or that same idea. It's it's yeah, it's it's interesting too because you know, we're told so often now to stand up for what, what we, we should do. And I feel like so much has, has been lost in our generation on the idea of like, we always hear these sayings like, oh, we have to work hard or do this, but really what does it actually mean to implement and actually achieve stuff? I think my generation is so good at, at hearing things. We, we spend all day absorbing. That's just all we do. We're very connected generation, but how we actually implement, I see, I see such a disconnect there, which I, I wanted to, to sort of run with that idea. How are you seeing this concept that you talk about um, working with companies that you're working with or, or um, you know, in your consulting space, how are you seeing these principles um, effectively being used? Yeah, so the way we start is um, we always start with strategies. So, you know, I'm at, I'm at heart a strategist. So I, I go in and I figure out where are they now and where do they want to go? And a lot of times what happens is that, in an organization, they think the problem is retention and engagement, but it's like an octopus. The octopus sits somewhere and it has eight tentacles mm. that are showing up in different pieces of the organization. And so I have a process, you know, I call it an, an, an uncovery process where I, through my five-star success blueprint that I've designed, I can diagnose pretty quickly what's not working. So you can have individual pieces figured out, but if they're not aligned, mm. that's the problem. So yeah, you can do great manager training, but if the managers are not, especially the emerging managers are not trained and you only train high potentials, you are, you have a problem. I mean, it'll be like, you know, right. I, I compare this chat Imagine you go to the Formula One race course I love and Formula. you give everyone a key in a car and you say, those of you who do not die are our high potentials and those will be, and, and we'll take care of you. That's a really expensive way to, um, to figure out who has potential in your company, isn't it? Why yeah. don't we tell them all how to ride the car first and then we put them on the race course and then we see who is doing which kind of job. So sometimes mm-hmm. what happens, Chad, is that there's a problem between a lot of times emerging managers just because the high potential gets so hijacked so quickly. 
um, oftentimes there is um, racial issues because line staff and managers oftentimes are have different racial uh, fabrics, right? And so there's a communication barrier. Um, sometimes we see that the education uh, requirements are completely blown out of proportion. You really think you get somebody with a with a master's degree who's going to work for you for fifteen dollars an hour? I don't think so, right? Right. Uh, and and uh, uh, a lot of times communication issues from the executive team down to the line staff is like playing telephone. If you expect that you as the CEO that the message you're you're you're, you're trying to tell your people is is exactly repeated the way you intended it through all the layers of your hierarchy and then arrives at the line staff, you're delusional. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're delusional because people withholding information, people forget stuff, people leave things out, people don't want people to know certain things, people want to remain in power. Uh, and, and suddenly people go like, maybe a communication issue, we don't know where it's coming from. You as the CEO, it's your job to make sure that your communication channels are open. So we go in and we first help them figure out where those different pieces are that are not aligned. And when you come in from the perspective of alignment, it's a lot easier because there's less barriers when you come in from alignment versus you're doing something wrong. And then slowly but surely we're introducing these concepts mm -hmm. as we are working with the teams in the strategy sessions, in the uh, training sessions, in the educational stuff, in the follow-up stuff, where we then introduce these concepts and say, have you thought about this? What is another way to look at? What are your attributes that you're bringing to the table? Um, I'm a certified Myers-Briggs practitioner, so which is extremely nice. helpful in figuring out, you know, how these things kind of work together. It's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I love it. I love it. What a what a interesting uh, career and strat. Uh, definitely as a strategist person, I feel like the work and the dissection is it's probably so much fun. Um, I wanted to ask because I know we're we're getting close here to the end of our hour. Um, who is your biggest inspiration and mentor from a leadership perspective in the in the world? It doesn't have to be someone in your family, unless it is, or someone out in the world that you look up to. But you're you're the mentor that you look up to for leadership. There really isn't any one particular person. I I look at leaders in 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 different categories. Okay. So I like. I'm I'm a real big fan of all our early day feminists who who really paved the way, even though feminism has begot, gotten a bad rap. But when you really study feminism, there's really nothing bad about it. It's all about women wanting the same rights. I mean, it's shocking. Uh, <laughs> we, we, you know, I, I, I'm a feminist. I'm not hating men. I'm engaged. I'm getting married. I mean, clearly. You Congratulations. Know, thank you. I'm getting engaged to a man. So <laughs> I don't... And I don't in have Los cats. Angeles. What in Los Angeles? Yeah, I know. And I don't have cats, so uh, <laughs> I, I defy the stereotype of the evil man-hating feminist. Uh, so, so I really look. I look at people that have achieved something on whether that's a Barbara Corcoran or whether that's a, um, you know, a, a CEO of a company or whether that's a Richard Branson or whether that's a. Uh, Tony Shea, and I see that that they have in the in their leadership, they all have covered a piece. 
but very rarely do you find someone who has covered all the pieces that I look for, right? And so genius and so they're either a total genius and then they are known to be very difficult like Steve Jobs, right? It's like was his way, Elon Musk, his way or the highway. Right. And there's genius and brilliance in that. But that's an unusual leader because those are really visionary leaders that lead on big ideas, but they're not good at other stuff. But then you look deeper and you see that each one of these leaders had a second in command that then translates that insanity into an actual strategy. Uh, You know, I call these people the maximizer. And that already then follows the concept that I talk about is who else do you need on your team? So if I can have a genius on my team, so that's where I look at, I really don't look at any one particular person because I don't think any one particular person has mastered it. And neither have I, frankly, but I look at who is bringing what to the table and what do I learn from that? That's my, that's my, my perspective. What does he have that I don't have that I need to know how to do? I like that. It's calculated and it's a tempered approach to analyzing a leader. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to ask too, I, I, this might be uh, a, a more larger question than we even have time for to even get to, but what do you believe is the meaning of life? I think that we are so incredibly lucky to be here because the chances you even born are so minuscule mm-hmm. that each and every single person is here to show their brilliance. And if you are not showing up and pushing it as hard as you can, I'm sorry, you're wasting your time. I believe that there is abundance for everyone. I believe the meaning of life is that we embrace the concept of nature, which is life and more life. And that we need to stop listening to the negativity but really come from a perspective of I am here to be the best version of myself and I'm going to take everyone with me. Mm. I like that. That's, that's a, I think a very well encompassing answer. Thank you. I I ask everyone who's been on the show that answer or that question. So it's very fascinating to see uh, either correlations or just um, distinctions between different people's approaches to to the meaning of life. Um, If you could give one piece of advice from all of the experiences you've had and and my gosh have you had a fantastic life I'm, I'm completely um humbled and honored to have the opportunity to sit down with you like really it sounds like you've you've been through so much you face so much adversity but yet overcome it you've you've come to terms with a lot of your emotional landscape and all the things that we face as a person and really i think there's a lot to cherish and get away from the story but from all of the experiences if you have one that you have to give to someone who hears this what would that be um, actually, it's I, th- I think it's more like three things. So number one, okay. it's fail faster. Um, do not get attached to your failures. Look, if the GPS uh, has been updated and you have the old version and you end up in a cul-de-sac, it's not like you get out of the car, you throw yourself <laughs> on the ground and throw a temper tantrum. You see the building right there. So get back in the car, get go there, right? So stop crying over failures. Failures are opportunities. Number two, Mindset. Mindset must be a daily practice on whether you use your imagination for catastrophe and failure or you use your mind for creation and abundance. That is a decision you make here and today. And I encourage you to make that decision to abundance 
and success. And finally, don't take it personal. Mm. It's really not personal. It's just the way it is. And if you are in, in a place where you feel you're just buried like I was under so much negativity and disaster and catastrophe and a lot of it not done by you, congratulations. That means you have a big job to do because once you're out of it, you can share this information with other people. Wow, that is fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Biat, for your time. And it's it's been a pleasure to have you on. Um, is there anything that you want to plug before we are done here? Uh, anywhere that people could check you out, find you or follow you? Yes. So if you are stressed out of your mind and need some balance, you can go to my website, balance.tips, uh, where I show you on how to actually manage your time better. If you're an entrepreneur and you want to find more clients, you can go to Airtide avatar.com, which is a masterclass on how to find really good, good clients. You can always reach out to me directly. Um, I'll be happy to put my email in the show notes, uh, bc at beatachalette.com. I love to hear from the audience. I love to hear your uh, takeaways. If you have any questions about personal growth, business growth, just, just, just reach out. You know, I'm on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, um, I have a LinkedIn group, the Entrepreneur Forum with over 60,000 people in it. Uh, just join the community and uh, and start sharing and let's help each other. It's fantastic. And before we wrap up here, one last question. Where do you see yourself going in the next 10 years of your life? What, what, what do you want that to look like? Okay, so I want you to hold that vision for me. So we okay. are in a football stadium. There are 60,000 people that come to hear about the new business code that are listening to how they can find better fulfillment in their careers and how they can be better leaders and how they can make bigger contributions and how they can acknowledge each other uh, and help each other become better leaders and visionaries in the world. That's my big vision. And then when you go to my grave, it will say, here lies a woman that was instrumental in defining women leadership. Wow. That is fantastic. Thank you so much again for your time. And folks, make sure, as always, to go check out her work. And thank you for joining us. This has been a fantastic episode of A Humanistic Perspective. As always, I'm Chad, and I hope you have a great day. Peace.